Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Warning. This episode contains discussion of food, eating habits, dieting, fat phobia, and mentions eating disorders. If any of these topics are triggering for you, please practice self-care and prioritize your well-being. So, hello everyone. We have Crystal here with us. Hi, Crystal. Hi, everyone. We are so happy to have you um, talking about this topic around diet culture and toxic diet culture, the weight loss industry, fat phobia, um, food insecurity, all of that. So, um, welcome. Happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk about this today. Yeah, I think it's a really important topic and there's a lot of like cultural assumptions in terms of people in larger bodies, what a healthy diet looks like, what does it mean to have, what does food insecurity mean, what does it mean to not have access to healthy food and that sort of thing. So I'm excited to break this down and I think we can start with talking about um you know, what healthy eating means and what that kind of looks like. Yeah, definitely. I think that a big thing that's important to acknowledge really when we're talking about any sort of like health and wellness topic, but definitely um, food is a big part of that is that um, the definition of healthy eating or kind of how a lot of us would classify it is really driven by capitalism in our society. And so our kind of perceptions and things like that have really been co-opted by that schema. Um, And so I think that's important to acknowledge and just kind of keep on the forefront of our minds when we're talking and thinking about uh, even the word healthy has, you know, kind of healthy food has a lot of baggage and things like that. So, you know, just recognizing that a lot of foods that have been marketed as healthy or um, kind of promoted to us, um, you know, they might have different benefits and things like that that are positive. But uh, they can largely be driven by their ability to make a large profit. Mm-hmm. I think we really see this with a lot of um, sort of the, you know, uh, hype foods, you know, like different health foods that are very expensive and there's kind of a big trend and there's a lot of marketing and, you know, influencers are using them and sort of these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a lot of foods that sort of get pushed to the side and, Uh, maybe even kind of demonized as being less beneficial or um, not as healthy. But in fact, you know, most food is going to have some potential to bring nutrients and benefits to us. And so uh, really kind of dismantling what this uh, dichotomy between healthy and unhealthy food is and really looking critically into uh, what these things mean for us on individual levels, I think is important um, as a start. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the notion of calories is a huge part of that because we um, are 
told to value things that are super low in calories. But when you look at what that actually means, like you need calories to survive. They are designed to keep you energized and to keep you alive. So um, I think the demonizing of, of certain foods is definitely related to um, fat phobia kind of is rooted in all of this and capitalism as well, because the things that are cheapest to make that they can label as healthy foods are absolutely going to, you know, even just the, the word uh, vegetable oil, it has vegetable in it, but it's not the healthiest oil. It's actually, well, you know, <laughs> talking about the word health, but um, it's, it's not the most beneficial oil, even though it has the word vegetable in it. So there's a lot of like things to sift through when you're trying to find real information about what is healthy so that that can make it really challenging to change that relationship that we have with food and how do we make it like more about nutrients and more about pleasure and positivity rather than um trying to subscribe or achieve this goal of health that is or body size that is unachievable yeah i really appreciate that you brought up the idea of pleasure because i think Um, a lot of people myself included this is something I have to like push back against the idea of equating like food and pleasure is just so like oh my god no we're not supposed to do that Um, but really food is so much more complex uh, in our lives than just nutrients Um, and granted you know of course nutrients are important and you know we want to be as mindful of those things as we can but um, you know there's so much social and culture and uh, like emotional and um, mental and all these other factors of food. And I think as well, especially, you know, talking about uh, like cultural experiences of food and capitalism and also racism plays a big part in that. Um, And, you know, which foods are considered healthy and which foods are, you know, maybe associated with cultures that um, have been marginalized historically or different things like that and how that plays into it as well. So I think that really pushing against food as I've often heard the slogan, you know, food is fuel and that's really minimizing food down to just one thing and it's not one thing. Um, so allowing it to be a part of our lives in, um, these different ways and to let that be okay and celebrate that and enjoy that and things like that. I think is a really big part of, you know, quote, nutrition (laughs) that we historically have left out. You know, it's not just about the macronutrients and micronutrients and calories and science of it. It's about the, um, you know, lived experiences as well. Right, exactly. And, you know, food is dynamic and complex and it, it connects communities, it connects cultures and people for a lot of people, this is a way to connect with family and to kind of define family around the concept of food and celebration and community. Um, And food is also, like you said, part of culture and a a big part of cultural events and holidays. And and that all should be celebrated and included in, in the conversation around food. And it's also, a really great way to connect with the lived environment and the earth and to really think critically about like where is the food that you're eating coming from 
and also not judge that too because if you can't afford like the most organic locally sourced butternut squash like I don't know why that was my example of food but (laughs) (laughs) um like that's okay but also if you can like really being grateful and appreciating the food and where it comes from and the sources that it comes from and the food chain that it's a part of and the larger systems of agriculture and capitalism and you know the realizing how how food ends up on your shelf is really important too and being mindful about what you're consuming right yeah and i think that like with that you know you've talking about like the food systems and where does it come from and these things are very very complex um, for most of us, the, how food gets from, you know, it's an origin place to our plate is a very lengthy process. And a lot of it is again, you know, driven by these systems of aggression and it's just outside of our individual control. Um, a lot of these systems that have been created and, uh, there's not a lot we can do to kind of get out of them even, um, and especially something as, you know, essential as food, we are in a lot of ways forced to participate in some of these um, systems. And so I think that that's also uh, an important thing to recognize, especially when we're experiencing possibly like individual guilt around food choices. Um, I think that this is particularly true if like kind of the example you gave, you know, oh, I should be buying this like local organic thing, but I can't afford that or I don't have that in my area. And so I'm buying this instead. And, you know, I don't feel like I feel guilty about that. But really it's not individual. There's a lot of pressure put on individuals to make choices um, in a very, in a system of very limited choices. And that's very strategic because then companies that are creating these systems aren't held responsible for the positions that they put individuals in and the health outcomes that they create. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we are not responsible as individuals for changing the entire global system of food systems. (laughs) And, you know, we have to release some of that guilt as individuals. If we can't control, like, the only things that are available to us if they came from certain countries or communities like that's just what we have access to and we need to focus less on the individual behavior and more on the systems that allow exploitation of workers to happen that allow pesticide use and gmos that are harmful you know all of these things and environmental effects that are honestly outside of the scape of our the scope of what we can do in the moment in the grocery store, right? So, yes. um, so you know, we can do what we can at, as activists, as, you know, being politically active and culturally aware and spreading awareness of these issues, but, you know, let go of some of that, <laughs> some of that yeah. guilt because um, even like the water that we drink is so carefully manipulated to be the the exact water that we drink um so you know in some ways it takes a lot of energy and resources to push back against all the the things that have been designed for us to be what we consume every day yeah absolutely it's definitely it's definitely a a constant effort and i think that you know 
people who have the capacity to put forth that effort that's a privilege in and of itself you know yeah and acknowledging that as well yeah I mean just a side note with this topic I've been dreaming about going to the farmer's market but it honestly is really hard to enjoy the farmer's market because I can't afford to buy all of the fresh produce and it's not as fun for me unfortunately but yeah um yeah I think we have to normalize that too that um you know Portland culture of trying to be the most sustainable and sometimes that's just not accessible to people right well and you know this is a small tangent I won't go too far but sustainability in and of itself is is also been so capitalized on that the idea that you have to spend more money to do things that are sustainable when historically um, a lot of kind of you know cultures and different uh, original ways of doing things and sort of like older wisdom and things already are sustainable and we don't need to have some new you know really whitewashed way of coming in and oh this is the new sustainable thing um because lots of people have been doing things sustainably for centuries and we just need to listen and follow their example yes that that makes me think of like beyond burgers and impossible burgers and like all of the different meat alternatives and like that's great innovation and sustainability and all of that but like you can eat plant-based without <laughs> needing to like pay $10 or 15 or whatever it is. I don't even know. Um, to like subscribe to a white capitalist, like <laughs> way of eating meat when it's not necessary. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so on that, on that topic of accessibility and having limited access to fresh produce and what we label as healthy foods, how can people, you know, even approach eating a healthy diet if they want to eat healthy, um, but they can't, they might have, you know, not enough money or they don't have a car and they can't drive to the grocery store or the nearest grocery store is really far living in food deserts and food mirages and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that for a a big part of that is kind of starting with some of the things we've already been talking about in terms of, uh, you know, rethinking what our perception and idea of healthy food is and really looking at the food that's available and uh, to the most of our ability, being able to kind of look at the positives of that. Something that I've started doing is, you know, um, like plain white rice, for example, is a really affordable and generally a little bit more accessible food. Um, But in a lot of sort of quote, health and wellness circles, you know, uh, white rice is like touted as not as healthy. Um, And it has a lot of carbs and this and that. Um, But instead of thinking about some of those factors that people are saying, which may or may not be true, um, really focusing on you know, oh, this is going to have a lot of um, like energy. This is going to be able to give me energy. This is going to be able to provide me with fiber. This is going to be able to provide me with, um, you know, different vitamins and minerals and thinking about what you are getting out of foods that are accessible to you um, instead of what is not available, I think can be kind of helpful just to uh, change your sort of perception and approach a little bit. Um, that being said, of course, um, so you'll probably hear us use the term food insecurity and food insecurity, um, just to 
kind of give a quick definition, um, according to the USDA is economic and social condition of limited or uncertain access to adequate food. And uh, Bella gave some examples of what that might be like a moment ago in terms of, you know, affordability, you know, proximity, things like that. Um, and so I just want to say that uh, experiencing food insecurity is really, really common across the country, um, and especially in student populations as well. Um, and it's definitely not an easy thing to experience. It is challenging and it's stressful. And so take our advice with a grain of salt, um, because, you know, we understand that it's not as simple as, oh, just, you know, brush it off and have a good attitude about it and it'll be fine. Like that's not actually helpful. Um, so I just want to kind of put that caveat in there as we're going to talk about some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. And also the, the factor of stress that's in the con the experience of food insecurity, because it's not just having limited access, but it's also uncertain access. So it's maybe not knowing where your next meal is going to come from or not knowing what it's going to entail, um, you know, not knowing where to go for resources. And these things are a burden and these things are really stressful and can contribute to a chronic stress um, with this financial and social condition because it's not just financial. There's also socially like you want to go out with your friends, but if you don't, if you can't afford to go eat at a restaurant, then that has social implications, right? So it really can affect, start to affect all aspects of your life. And I, you know, it's hard to find accurate statistics about food insecurity, but I saw one that was about half of all college students will experience food insecurity at one point. So this is really common. And if this is something that's resonating with you, I really hope that you can release some of the shame about this because it's, you know, it's something that a lot of people go through and has only been heightened with COVID. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really, really hard for people to deal with. And even like the resources that we give you here, it's still a burden to have to go find resources, to have to advocate for yourself and to have to seek out support is, you know, really stressful sometimes. And it's something that you can be like, oh my gosh, why do I have to deal with this? Um, and it's often because of the larger systems of, you know, poverty and capitalism that we can't get into today. Um, but I hope you can understand that when we try to give you these re resources as well, it's not just like, oh, you know, just do this and you'll be fine. Like it's a chronic condition and and there's a lot of stress and burden involved. And we hope that you are taking care of yourself and having compassion around that as well. Yeah. And I also think particularly with um, college students, we really normalize food insecurity in sort of an, an unhelpful or detrimental way because there's kind of this brush off of, oh, well, you know, you're in college, you're supposed to be living on top ramen. And instead of really addressing that, it doesn't matter what stage in life you are or what your income is or anything like that. Um, people deserve access to, you know, foods that are nutrient rich and are going to help them, um, you know, feel uh, whole and complete in a variety of ways. And so I think that just, yeah, putting that out there as well. Um, that's another thing society does to be like, this is not really a problem. Let's just look away. 
Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that's definitely a real thing growing up too, where you're like, oh gosh, I have to brace for the, the times in college, but I'm just not gonna be able to eat a meal that night. And that's really disgusting and horrible. And we should not be allowing that to just be such a normal trivial thing that we brush off and, and don't validate for people. That's a hard experience on the physical body, of course, but also in all of those areas of wellness that we talked about. Um, but yeah, so some of the resources that we have at PSU for students facing food insecurity, I'm going to leave a link down below to the Committee for Improving Student Food Security. And with that link, you can get to pretty much all of the resources that we're about to list here. So just take that one link and you should be able to find all the things we're talking about. Um, but Crystal, can you walk us through some of the resources we have? Yeah, so we have the PSU Food Pantry, and this is definitely one of kind of the, the hallmarks for PSU. Um, so it's run very similar to kind of any traditional food pantry. Um, I'm going to talk about sort of the general setup and then some of the COVID adaptations. So generally it's, um, you know, it's shoppable. So you get to choose your items. It's not like a you get a pre-made box or anything like that. Um, and there's a variety of different options. They have fresh foods, preserved foods, um, and different things like that. And you can go um, on a daily basis to use that resource um, as a PSU student. And then some of the things that they've been doing to help make things safer during COVID is that they're actually doing um, online orders, which I was really impressed that they were able to offer that resource. Um, so you can actually, you know, order online and then um, do a pickup or delivery. So there are forms for that and all of the more detailed information are again on the, the website that will be down below. Um, we also have the free food market and this is actually also a community event. So this is uh, great for anyone who is uh, just in the PSU community in general, you don't have to be a student. Um, and that one is on Mondays monthly. Um, I do not remember which week. I think it's the second Monday of the month, but again, yeah, it's on the website. I'm pretty sure if it's still the same as it has usually been, it's the second Monday of the month, but the website will have updated hours. Yeah. And I, I think that they, it's outside. And so I think that they're doing, you know, wear a mask, social distance, um, but it's still kind of an in-person pickup and they, uh, that is in partnership with the Oregon food bank. So there's a um, wide variety of fresh and uh, shelf stable foods. And it's kind of semi shoppable. You kind of get to go through and decide with each item that's available, like if you would like it or not. And then yeah, in and, and with both of the, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Um, with both the, the food pantry and the free food market, they're usually um, accepting volunteers. So if you're wanting to give back to the PSC community, if you don't have money to give and you want to give some time, then you could always ask them if they're needing volunteers. And that way you can help with food insecurity in your own way. Awesome. Thanks for that suggestion. Um, so then in addition, uh, PSU provides SNAP assistance. Um, SNAP is also uh, referred to sometimes as food stamps. It stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And so that is, uh, you know, a federal slash state program where you get, it's kind of like a debit card that has money loaded onto it each month and you can use that to purchase food 
um, at uh, grocery stores and also a lot of other like convenience stores and smaller places. So um, like Bella was mentioning earlier, the process of signing up for or finding resources can be very burdensome and complicated and overwhelming. And so the SNAP assistance is uh, somebody who's able to help you kind of fill out the application, ask questions, do follow up and kind of support you through that process. Um, and in the sake of, you know, kind of normalizing and things like that, this is something that I have done in the past um, and I've used SNAP on and off throughout um, being in college and it's been very helpful and definitely reduced my stress being able to know that I had that um, funding for food each month. So, um, and then an another note, um, kind of when we're talking about food insecurity, uh, there's a lot of attention around sort of, you know, your traditional basic food items, but I think it's really worth acknowledging that there's a lot more kind of that's associated with food insecurity that's often not covered by things like the SNAP program or food pantries. Um, whether that's kind of semi-food items, like um, maybe supplements that you might need or baby formula or different things that are harder to get access to, um, or other similar items that you might buy at the store, like hygiene items. Um, so those can also, you know, be difficult to access. I think people focus a lot on the food portion and forget about some of these other things that we also need. Um, and so I just want to mention that the that PSU has emergency grant funds. And the description of these funds is just that it's, you know, for a PSU student in a necessary situation. And so if you're, you know, in a position all of a sudden where you're experiencing um, any just financial uh, difficulty, the emergency grant um, is available for you to apply to. And there's a link for that down below as well. And then the last thing that I'm going to mention, um, which I think is a really awesome tool if you're in Oregon at large, is the Oregon Food Bank Food Finder. So again, this is a um, website and the link is down below. And what you can do is just there's a map of Oregon and you can look at where the different uh, food resources are. And so some of those food resources are food banks or free food markets, but they also have uh, hot meal or fresh meal programs. And there's, a, I mean, I was really impressed looking through the map. There's a lot of different options on there. So if you also just need, um, you know, a hot meal or a quick meal, uh, and a lot of these are doing COVID safe adaptations in terms of like they're doing bag lunches and socially distancing and wearing PPE and things like that. So I just want to reiterate that um, a lot is still going on with safety precautions. And that is all of the resources that I have. Thank you so much, Crystal. I really hope that people check out these resources we have and um, find it helpful and can spread it to their, their networks as well and get this out there because a lot of people do a lot of good work to try to improve food insecurity and um, get you access to things that are a lot harder to find, especially as college students and specifically for college students. So please check that out. Thank you so much, Crystal. So now I'm going to 
kind of switch gears a little bit and we're going to talk about diet culture, toxic diet culture, um, and the weight loss industry and how fat phobia is really rooted in all of that. So let's get into it. Yeah. So, I mean, this could be like five whole podcast episodes. Yeah, in and of I mean, itself, there's, this topic. Class, there's literally a whole class at PSU about fat phobia. So yeah, you know, yeah. We won't be able to cover everything today for sure. Um, but just to kind of uh, touch on the surface of things, um, I think that one of the big things that happens, and this is particularly true with uh, sort of quote diet and exercise uh, geared things, is really disguising um, fat phobia as health and wellness. So, you know, marketing, especially wellness, um, <laughs> that one is my, my pet peeve, um, really pushing and marketing this idea that health and wellness are um, really connected to your body size Uh, when in reality um, you know as we often talk about health and wellness is so complex and it's so many factors Um, and so reducing it down to one thing is just really an inaccurate picture of the human experience and it's also just inaccurate scientifically Um, this again this one is a lot to unpack but Um, body size and health status are absolutely not equated. We cannot tell by looking at someone or measuring someone's body size, um, what their health status or different health factors about them might be. And so um, pretending that that's the case and that by manipulating, um, you know, diet or exercise and then, you know, weight loss and these things uh, is, is really inaccurate. Um, it's just not that simple. And so I just want to mention, um, for anyone who is interested in this topic, um, particularly, uh, the, the difference between body size and health, I would really recommend you, um, check out health at every size, and there'll be a link down below for that as well. And it's sort of a movement slash educational, uh, structure, Um, And it's, again, this idea that, you know, health and body size are not equated. So that's a really great um, framework to look at and kind of learn through if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, um, from looking at the website, they talk about respecting and celebrating body diversity and differences in size, age, race, ethnicity, gender, disability and ability, sexual orientation, religion, class, and other human attributes. So it's really about intersectionality as well. And I think that's a huge part of fat phobia is talking about how that affects different communities in different and subpopulations in different ways and how we, um, you know, think about white fat bodies versus (laughs) um, people who are black and in larger bodies. Like that's going to, look different, right? So, and we know that subconsciously and we all participate in different ways, whether we want to or not. So it's important to identify those kinds of things so we can start to dismantle these systems and kind of think critically about all of the information that we're receiving. Like you were talking about disguised as wellness. I literally was writing this episode and watching Hulu at the same time and an ad came on Um, As I was writing about predatory weight loss industry, it it came on for like NutraHealth, wellness, weight loss supplements, and, you know, diet pills, and, you know, all these programs. And I'm like, 
seriously, come on, <laughs> right as I'm writing this. Um, but it's, it's honestly disgusting the way that they target people's insecurities and, you know, systems of <laughs> um, being oppressed in order to make a profit off of hating fat bodies. So just think of that when you're seeing all of this quote unquote wellness information that's really just trying to get you to change something about yourself and has nothing to do with health at all um, or nutrition at all. Yeah, I think that you've definitely touched on a really important sort of dynamic to look at. And that's this idea. So how this system plays out is that we have been taught to equate our self-worth and our self-esteem and our value with our body size. And so when our body size does not fit this, you know, societal standard, which is often like really unrealistic and unhealthy in the first place, um, then that is kind of what brings us to what's often called fat shaming. Um, so, you know, this idea of being either internally or externally having negative experiences around body size and shame around that. And then that puts us in the perfect position to be sold a diet because we, you know, when we're not feeling good about ourselves and when we're in a place of pain and things like that, of course, we want a solution. And so, you know, buying into these uh, programs and diets and things like that um, often kind of biologically leads to uh, what's often called diet cycling, which is when we go through periods of being, you know, on diets and in restrictive states to being in sort of more of a um, quote, like what's normal for us place and kind of cycling in and out of dieting. And again, a whole other big topic to talk about there, but there's a lot of actually um, negative health effects of diet cycling in particular. One thing though, is that companies love it when we diet cycle because it makes them a ton of money because we will just keep trying over and over and spending money on these things. And so that's part of why these systems, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and so to kind of, right. and that has like huge effects on the body to go in and out of different, um, diets and to put your body through extreme stress and trying to adjust everything that's happening, all the systems in your body to all of these changes that are happening constantly is it can be really harmful, especially long-term and actually can make it a lot harder to lose weight. If that's something that you're trying to do. And yeah. I just also want to be clear with this episode that we are by no means ever trying to encourage you to lose weight. So I hope you know that. <laughs> yeah. And just to offer sort of like the opposite perspective on some of these things, um, because this is really dominant culture is, is this pattern that we've been talking about. Um, I am a huge fan and advocate for intuitive eating, which is um, just sort of an approach to uh, food and nutrition that is kind of the anti-diet, if you will. And uh, it includes principles like gentle nutrition, which is kind of, you know, encapsulates some of the things we've been talking about today. Um, and also just in a summation, I would say it's really about kind of mindfulness and just being aware of your own um, experiences and things like that with food. Um, and again, a link to more information about that is down below. 
Yeah, I think this is really the future of nutrition and changing the culture around diets and also helping us learn about our relationship with foods and change that in whatever way is needed, right? Because all of these systems and, you know, fat phobia and toxic diet culture that we've been talking about have real psychological effects and contribute to the prevalence of eating disorders, anxiety, depression, self-harm issues, like just in general with your relationship with food, right? And so this can make it really hard to make changes once you've already built up these, um, you know, ways of thinking in your mind and these frameworks of how you view how food fits into your life. Um, and that stress can be can be really harmful and can be long term as well. So just be really gentle with yourself if you're having, you know, if you have a history of this kind of thing and having these effects. When you're listening to this, first of all, and also when you're attempting to make any sort of changes, like being really gentle with yourself and practicing mindfulness and practicing, you know, is this um, am I eating in a healthy coping mechanism right now? Is this an unhealthy coping mechanism? How is this going to actually affect me? Um, but, but again, that's, you know, the burden of having to think about these things is, is real as well. Yeah. I think that, um, when I first started learning about some of these things, uh, was from an article that I read and, um, it's called the fat woman sings and, this woman talks about her experience as, you know, being a fat woman her whole life and basically, you know, diet cycling and fat shaming and things like this. And what she talked about, uh, she was a single mother and also a caregiver to her elderly parent. And she talked about how the amount of stress and effort that she put into dieting was so great that she felt it detoured from her role as a mother and a caregiver and you know, all of these other things that we are a friend and, um, you know, a singer, whoever. Um, and so I think that that is a really important, uh, thing to recognize is that, you know, the stress of dieting and the stress of fat phobia is often deterring from the more important parts of our lives. And to me, that was the thing that was like, oh no, we're, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> um, and in addition to the, you know, physical, um, uh, negative health effects that it can have. Just that emotional relational component is really big. Right. And like, this is not something that anyone should have to deal with, right? Is this, this toxic culture around you must lose weight and you must constantly be aware of how much you weigh and, and that sort of thing. I, especially as women, I want to, you know, clarify that women have been often the target of this, as well as queer people, as well as um, disabled people. So, you know, that's something to be aware of, and also how we internalize these messages and perpetuate them, whether or not we're attempting to do that. I've seen this happen in my family with, you know, my mom internalizing things and subconsciously sending those messages to myself and my siblings and like it's not out of malice but we all of us contribute to this toxic culture in one way or another whether it's through language or the way that we view food or dieting or working out or whatever it is and so it's it's really important in changing this culture as a whole to start with ourselves and to to really evaluate like 
what are our views on things and what have we normalized that we might need to unpack and try to dismantle a little bit. Yeah, and I think with that, it's, um, I just want to reiterate that it really is a constant battle. Um, for me personally, you know, I've been in like recovery from eating disorders for a few years now, and like that's a constant fight. And then like pushing again, pushing back against, you know, diet culture is a constant fight. And so, and I don't anticipate that stopping anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, trying to, you know, get out of or cope with, um, food insecurity is a constant struggle. It's a constant fight. And so I just want to acknowledge that these things are really difficult and they're ongoing and, you know, we don't expect you to have it all figured out or to fix it quickly. It's, it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong thing. Right. And, you know, being really self-compassionate with that check out our self-compassion episode if you haven't already if you're needing some tips with that um and just really approaching these um you know changing these frameworks in really gentle ways and and being gentle with yourself and practicing self-care throughout and also part of that is recognizing you know certain views or perceptions or opinions that you might have that you're trying to um, you know, expel or get rid of, don't beat yourself up for having, you know, those views because they have been pushed upon you your entire life and it's not necessarily your fault. Um, so just be gentle with yourself in that process of unlearning things as well. Absolutely. And when in doubt, just say to yourself, all bodies are good bodies. (laughs) Yes. Yes love that well i think that's a perfect way to close out thank you so much for being here crystal i think we had a great conversation and we will be sure to leave those links down in the description yes thank you so much for having me this was a wonderful way to spend the afternoon We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we want us to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503 503- Counseling services are still available via telehealth and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, shack, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and take care.